Welcome to this week's Insights on the Acadia Broadcasting Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, we had another uh, interview with a First Nation in our series of interviews with First Nations and Indigenous uh, economic development uh, across our region. This week, we talked to Chief Terry Richardson and his brother, Jim Richardson, from the Pabano First Nations. And, and even though it's a very small First Nation, uh, I think they said there's around 400 uh, uh, members and only about under, under 200 living in the First Nation very exciting things going on and lots of interesting leadership coming out of that small community. I was very impressed with the, uh, with the approach that uh, the chief and his brother have in, in managing that band. They're a big proponent of the governance that, that has accountability and transparency. You know, they have personally really good uh, backgrounds to lead a first nations. I mean, they both worked off, uh, the uh, reserve for a long time. Uh, uh, Jim has deep uh, experience in the banking industry and international affairs, uh, well-educated. This is the kind of uh, new leadership that is emerging in, in First Nation communities all around our region. We've had a couple of conversations already. I find it really encouraging because they're not looking for a handout. They're looking for a hand up. And, you know, they want to become independent, financially, economically independent. And th there's a real opportunity with, uh, with First Nations like uh, Member 2 that we talked to, book, uh, talked to and Halibut in Newfoundland as examples of them identifying the opportunity and trying to realize that opportunity. I just found it really encouraging that their whole attitude is 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 very refreshing in terms of addressing um, the issues that they face. Yeah, that's a common theme throughout this interview, the, the optimism and the sense of potential uh, and the role that First Nations can play in terms of economic development in New Brunswick and across our region. I mean, there's, you, you know, it, it, we can't ignore the fact that there, there is some frustration in this, in this conversation. Uh, between uh, between them and uh, and the provincial government around the tax agreement and trying to find some solution to that longer term, but I think if you if you if you go beyond that again, there's lots of opportunity. They talk about the existing projects that they're working on. They talk about the the mid and longer term work with the green energy hub, uh, housing, 36 new housing units built on their community. So lots of uh, lots of important things happening. Uh, they mentioned also, uh, uh, you know, kind of what their priorities are. Um, you know, there's the three big ones, the uh, Green Energy Hub at Port uh, Baldoon. We've had uh, Denis Caron on talking about that. That's a big opportunity. Uh, renewable energy, uh, which is, uh, they're just early, early days on that. And then their own commercial development. They have uh, phase one of a, of a big project going where they've, they've got, $13 million already in that project. The second phase is $20 million. And then there's a third phase. So, you know, for a small uh, community, that's, uh, that's a big, uh, that's a big deal. So obviously very uh, aggressive in their, in their development uh, strategies. And uh, again, that, you know, they're doing exactly what you would hope um, First Nations would do to become more self-reliant and self-sufficient. And we do like uh, scoops here on the Insights mm. podcast. And of course, mm -hmm. they, they had just announced the Harvey's is going to be the, the restaurant that's going into that phase one development. So uh, that's uh, I, to I love Harvey's. They have too. the greatest hamburgers. <laughs> that's right. We'll have to go up and have a, a burger. Anyway, without uh, any further ado, here's our conversation with uh, Chief Terry Richardson and, uh, and the head of economic development, Jim Richardson. We are pleased to be joined today by Chief Terry Richardson and Councillor Jim Richardson of the Pabano First Nation in New Brunswick. Welcome to the Insights Podcast. Thank you, Dave. We appreciate uh, the opportunity to join you guys. It's a pleasure, Dave. So before we get into the conversation about economic development, we'd like to always find out a little bit about our guest. And uh, maybe we, we can uh, start with you, uh, Chief Terry. Can you uh, give us a little background about... Uh, your career path and how you ended up in your current role as chief of the Papineau First Nation. Sure, I'd love to, Don. Uh, you know, basically, I did 25 years in the Canadian Forces, uh, traveled to some exotic places, uh, did four tours, uh, decided I was going to retire in my First Nation community, came back, was asked to uh, take a role 
Uh, engineering was my background, so I took a role in capital construction. Uh, came back, started doing some work here in the community. Did a little stint as uh, in mining as well, and then I became a counselor in the community for eight years. And uh, this is my first term as chief, in, uh, finishing my fourth year. Uh, Jim, but, you, sorry, go ahead. What about yeah? Go ahead. I was going to say, Jim, you and I have had a chat before about your career. You've had a very interesting career path. Can you tell our listeners about it and why you choose to bring, uh, chose to bring all its experience and skills back to support economic development in the Pabano First Nation? Yes, Dave. I, I, uh, I was this young maritimer that uh, went to Toronto for the maturing process, quit grade 10, joined the military, ended up getting a good education, uh, uh, a commission from the military. I, uh, they sent me off to university, places like University of Calgary for BCom, uh, Queen's University for an MBA. Uh, left the military, joined the federal government uh, for two years. Just wasn't my cup of tea. And great people there, but uh, I was more interested in the other things. Moved on, moved into the uh, NGO world. Had interesting uh, experiences there with Kessel, for example. We did. Uh, projects abroad uh, and in Canada. Uh, in fact, I had a, an experience working with uh, the vice president of Bolivia, and then, so that got me interested in the jungle and working in the jungle and so on. Uh, eventually moved into banking, uh, left the bank, and then went back uh, to the jungle again, uh, down there for quite a few years. Uh, moved on from there, went to, uh, my family wanted to, I wanted them to become familiar with uh, Canada, they're Peruvian, and so uh, moved uh, to BC, headed up a corporation there, left there, went back to the jungle. Uh, then my son bought a company in Ottawa and asked me to lead it to transition, which I did. My brother there lassoed me and asked me to come and help him with economic development here. And so I went from squatting mosquitoes to shoveling snow in no time flat. And then uh, I... Based on my experience in the past, I, I served on a number. I've always been an advocate for, for our community. Uh, I served on a national task force, uh, access to capital, did presentations before parliamentary committees, et cetera. I did uh, uh, junkets overseas, Taiwan, places like Taiwan, on Aboriginal trade missions, et cetera. And I felt that that experience with banking, et cetera, could really help move the agenda forward. So when my brother asked me and my son asked me to take help with the company, it was it was a natural for me to come back and be more involved again. I had been doing volunteer work down uh, along the Amazon basin, but to come back and help our community because I had experience in government, banking, and in business. So it was a natural for me to try and, you know, bring our community forward. And, uh, and here I am. And I think uh, we've been working under great leadership. And so we're moving forward. And I always say, as a final point, uh, we're small, but we're going we're to be the mouse that roars. <laughs> well, uh, Papineau is uh, developing uh, quite a reputation among Indigenous communities uh, on the economic development side. We'd like to find out a little bit more about uh, your First Nation. Um, maybe you can tell our listeners uh, where it's located and the size of your population. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the economic uh, side of the uh, of the equation. Yeah, we're we're only a small community. We're only a, we're located just outside the city of Bathurst, about 16 kilometers outside. Uh, we're about 400 people in total, uh, living in the community, probably about 160. And uh, we continue to grow. I mean, uh, as my brother stated, uh, you know, one thing we like to do is uh, bring people back. And uh, we have a lot of community members who are living abroad, and we'd love to give them the opportunity to come back. And economic development is one of the tools that you can utilize to bring people back. So, so we're excited. We see a bright future in the region. We're not myopic. We're not only looking about Pavano First Nation. We also look about the municipalities that surround us. Uh, you know, together we're strong. Uh, we have a great relationship with Belle Bay, uh, Bathurst, Beldoon. Uh, the mayors and the councils there, we, we meet with them whenever we get the opportunity. We're moving forward on a lot of files with them and, and with the region. And, uh, you know, you guys probably have seen that with a lot of First Nations. If you talk with them, capacity is one of the issues in many First Nations. And we're fortunate that we have a lot of capacity. So it enables us to grow at a, a, you know, a, bigger, a, bigger, a faster pace because obviously business is action-oriented, not uh, process-driven. So it's important that we're able to move at that process as well. And being small uh, has its advantages because we don't have that government 
structure in place that, that slows things down. And just to build on to that too, with what the chief was saying in terms of capacity, uh, we tap into what I call intellectual capital. Our members that are abroad uh, have a lot of uh, connections, uh, use them for networking, use them for ideas. And so we're able to, you know, capitalize on that to a great extent. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's great, you know, it opens doors. It, it uh, gives us an exchange of ideas, uh, keeps us, you know, basically grounded as well. I mean, you know, we have to walk two worlds, basically, you know, and uh, we're an Aboriginal community or Indigenous community and we have our culture. Uh, but on the other hand, there's the business side of things that uh, operate uh, in a way that uh, uh, that's sometimes different. Uh, and that's great. But uh, we're finding now that some of these companies are receptive. Uh, reconciliation uh, is a big uh, uh, thing with many of these companies. They recognize that they have to work with First Nations in a way and they want to, uh, you know, with ESG being predominant at the board level, et cetera. Not only because of that, because it makes good business sense. And my, as my brother and I always say, partnership is the key to success. And so we move forward along those lines. So tell us about the business side of the, of the community. Uh, maybe uh, kind of what your current sources of revenues are, what they might be, and kind of how many people um, are, are, are benefiting through employment as a result of your efforts. You know, every, everything we do is band-owned. We're one of these communities where many, all of our businesses are basically band-owned. We haven't, you know, we don't, we don't discourage people from being an entrepreneur and taking the entrepreneurial spirit and developing a business, but they have to have the incentive to do it on their own. So that shows some drive. So all of our businesses are band-owned. So, you know, we've been able to benefit, obviously, from the revenue that comes back from those businesses to create employment within the community for people who, you know, we, we have a lot of dysfunctionality within First Nations. We have that, you know, the 60s scoop, the residential school systems, uh, the day school systems. So, so we have people that are still experiencing that trauma. So to employ them, we're able to employ them in our community in, in meaningful jobs. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is seasonal work, obviously. Uh, but we do have quite a few people who work full time as well. Uh, James can expand a little bit on where we're going with a lot of the businesses because we're all over the place, quite busy, actually. Yeah, and, and, and as the chief said, uh, you know, we're banned. The, the businesses are banned on, but we wanted to separate business from politics. So we formed an economic development corporation uh, with the board of directors. So what that does is basically enable uh, the board of directors uh, to provide the governance necessary to move the businesses forward in a non-political way. Obviously, you have to, you know, they have to remember who the owners are and, and adhere to what we call our basic structures, uh, our four pillars, for example, in investment, you know, social, economic, cultural, and environment. There's got to be balance between all of those. It's not just about chasing money. And, and, and a lot of our businesses, you know, our revenue coming in was, a lot of it was based on the tax agreement we had with the province of New Brunswick. And, and once that got axed, it put us in a very difficult situation. Uh, we've been negotiating for the last three years with the province of New Brunswick, obviously trying to come up with some type of economic uh, agreement other than the tax agreement, which has basically been unfruitful. I mean, they basically came forward and said, we'll build you some houses, which is not really economic growth. It's it's bricks and mortar type of approach. And it really doesn't solve. It doesn't give the First Nations the opportunity to create their own economic world. And I think that's the problem we're having right now is sitting down and having those negotiations. And, uh, you know, we had given the premier uh, a solution. Obviously, we're military, so it's not only come with a problem, it's come with a solution. And uh, we had given the premier a solution of, act. you know, let's cap the tax agreement. You know, it'll never go above whether you say five million per First Nation. I mean, it's, I know you're going to have First Nation, other First Nations who are not going to be happy, obviously, because their, their tax agreement is above and beyond that. But cap it and enable everybody to get to the same level and then slowly phase it out, you know, and then because you're going to see where it is anyway. And it'll never grow beyond that. But for some reason, he came in like a bull in a China China shop and ended up just taking the approach. Uh, I believe a lot of it was when he was the finance minister under Alward way back. Um, he, he, he had always been against the tax agreement. So perhaps that's the reason. But, you know, we had done economic studies. Uh, anybody who's in economics knows that, you know, our First Nations money stays in the region, you know, so really our growth is the benefit for the benefit of the whole province. 
you know, because first, unlike other community members in New Brunswick and our fellow New Brunswickers, we can't sell our property. <laughs> you know, we have to sell it to another First Nation member. So, you know, we can't just get up and move. So we're going to be here for a long time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're growing the economy. And, and, and I think it's, you know, we, we, we didn't take it as, we took it as a discouraging thing. Obviously, uh, for us, our, our development on Vanier Boulevard, our, our forecasting was based on the tax agreement so we could pay down the loan quicker, get it to a better place. Obviously, we don't have that. So we have to be a little bit more frugal in our approach. And, uh, you know, we're not going to bury our heads in the sand and say, okay, well, it's gone. And now what are we going to do? Um, we're saying, okay, well, you know, Mr. Premier, what else can we do? You know, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil, obviously, in this government right now. You can see that we have, uh, you know, one minister has resigned, uh, happened to be the Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, uh, Arlene Dunn, who has basically resigned and uh, quit her post. And uh, now we have uh, Minister Holland, who will be taking over the Aboriginal file uh, for the next little while until, uh, you know, he, he's done. He won't be reoffering in the next election. Um, I'm an optimist, much like my brother. I, uh, you know, we're going to sit at the table. We have a, we, I, we basically reached out to the premier and we said, let's start at ground zero. Let's, let's get this relationship because this is for the benefit of all New Brunswickers. It sure is. I mean, you look at, uh, even major financial institutes, the senior VP, uh, once recently at a conference in, in, uh, Toronto basically said no net zero without first nations. Well, he, he understands that because, uh, you know, there's risk associated with not having First Nations on site. You know, they're going to be lending money uh, to proponents who want to come in, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's renewables. Uh, and if there's a risk associated with that, for example, First Nations, you know, are saying, well, well, you know, you're not consulting properly. There's going to be injunctions, etc." Well, proponents realize uh, an injunction creates delays. That's going to, you know, add up to the cost. So there's a whole whack of stuff there that we, we, uh, here are concerned about because we want to move forward. Uh, it, we're on the cusp of so much stuff here. We work with proponents, bringing in, helping bring uh, uh, business into the port of Beldoon. There's so much opportunity there. We can do this collectively. We can do this in a united way. I understand. I understand the premier's concern. He's saying, "Look, First Nations are buying land in Moncton, buying land in St. John, setting up businesses, and really, it's creating a problem." If, if the tax rebate program sets, uh, stays in place, it's creating a problem in terms of competition and a whole whack of others. I understand that. But as my brother says, the solution was there. Create that solution. At some point, when we're up and running, and as, as First Nations collectively, we have an economy, we don't need the tax base anymore. We don't need that anymore. We can move forward collectively. But we're really, really happy, you know, that, that some of the agreements that we've signed with, I don't know, we've got some like 21 different companies that we signed agreements with, an Irish company, a DP Energy, who's interested in solar, uh, Interjex, who's interested in uh, battery, uh, Nextera, uh, ABO Wind. Uh, it, it goes across the gamut, you know, with the recent... Um, expression of interest for by by NB uh, Power. I think we signed about five or six different agreements with companies uh, with windmill and solar. Uh, these are on the cusp of happening, and so I think I'm optimistic. But again, on the other hand, uh, we don't want any speed bumps down the road. So ministers, premier, get on side. Let's do it in a united way. We want to move forward. We don't want to. We don't want to be myopic. We want to move forward. Talk to the mayors in the region. They'll understand how we stand. Talk to proponents. They understand where we stand. So we're ready to go. Let us be the most and roars as well. And the region too. <laughs> uh, so we want to talk about your economic development activities um, uh, that you've got going. Uh, I want to start with the multi-phase commercial and industrial development project. Can you tell us uh, that you've got started? Can you tell us what the plans are for that and and, and perhaps the level of investment that you expect over time to occur? Yeah, we've, 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 we've already taken a loan out for the gas station that we presently have up and running on and, and the strip mall that's there as well. We're in the process of uh, <coughs> finalizing the restaurant that will go next to our gas station. So we have a, uh, we've, we've, we've basically finalized that. I think we can safely say who that is now. Looking at, looking at the... Uh... <laughs> We're looking at Harvey's coming in next to us, so we'll have a fast food restaurant right next to the gas station, and that'll be up and running. And then we have our mall outlet, which is basically five stores. Um, we have 
proponents. I don't think we can – we haven't signed them yet, so I don't want to – yeah, NDAs are so dangerous, but, uh, you know, we've got uh, proponents coming in and uh, they're going to be filling that. And that's phase one of our development. Uh, phase two, we're looking at a, um, a hotel, a casino and a uh, entertainment center. And, uh, and so that's that's private investors that are coming in and the agreement will be on a lease revenue type of basis for us. And uh, so I think. You know, that's only phase phase two. Then we're looking at phase three, possibly an industrial development later on, because we do have almost 54 acres. The city of Bathurst is running out of space for industrial um, uh, start industrial development. And we said we'd be happy to give a portion of that possibly to that to 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 look at that with the city of Bathurst and see if there's something we can partner on. Again, it's not being myopic, you know, and I think that's when you look at First Nations, one of the big problems we've always had in our communities is we, we put our blinders on and we move forward as a community. You've got to get outside that box and outside your comfort zone and start exploring other things. And, um, you know, we've taken other communities along with us, uh, you know, in, in a lot of these developments because we understand there's there's capacity issues possibly or, or the, the bureaucracy is too big. So we'll move it down until we get to a point where there's a signing agreement, whether it be a cooperation agreement, an IBA or something else, and we'll bring them along with us. But for us, we're excited. Obviously, it's created wealth in our community. You know, we have members who are working out on the Vanier site. We have uh, members who work at our gas station here in the community. We have a restaurant in the community. We have members who work in the restaurant in the community. So, so you know, it's creating that own wealth and that thing and making it viable. I mean, the, the reality is nobody opens a business to lose money. So we're no different. We're opening our businesses to make money and ensure that they're viable and keep them going. And that's why, you know, what James mentioned, I think one of the problems we have often in First Nations is we don't separate the politics from the business and you end up stealing from Peter to pay Paul. And that's a dangerous situation to get into with businesses because you can get in a lot of trouble real fast. So our, our ActDev will keep that, keep business and politics aside and therefore ensure the viability and the continued life cycle of our businesses. And that's so important. You know, and that's one thing I preach to all the chiefs. I think there's an important thing and a role for us. You know, I always say, uh, you know, we, we often look at Terry Paul from uh, Member 2 as, as, as a, a role model for us. Well, you know, now they always say imitation is the best form of flattery. So, you know, we imitate ourselves after them. People are imitating themselves after us. That's great. I mean, we share our information, how we operate, how we, we do business, because we want everybody to be successful. And not only, like I said, it's not only for First Nations, it's for all businesses in New Brunswick. I mean, partnership is great. I mean, my brother stated we've signed 21 MOUs with various companies. And uh, maybe he can expand on that and give you an idea of a little bit how those work. Well, just to start well, off. Just, just, just before you jump into that, I just a couple points. First of all, you know, um, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Chief Paul. Uh, we had him on not that long ago. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, obviously he is an important role model, as your community is as well. We need more of those. I just want to dig a little further into your phase one, phase two, phase three. Can you put a, an, an investment amount on how much it will cost you to complete phase one and maybe phase two just for to give some scope to those projects? Well, the, the strip mall, uh, the gas bar, convenience store, and fast food restaurant, and, and clearing that land uh, to provide the space for those entities, $13 million. Uh, phase, phase two, uh, basically, we're in discussions now. Well, not in discussions. We've already signed agreements with respect to the hotel, event center, uh, and um, uh, casino. And that's a $20 million plus project uh, that the investors are, are going to be working on. Uh, just to add uh, to what my brother said, I mean, you know, we're both uh, uh, sometimes frustrated because we are action oriented as ex-military people. Uh, we don't get frustrated. We look for solutions all of the time. Uh, my brother has been under uh, his experience a little different than mine. Uh, he was in the, the Gulf War, Afghanistan, uh, and uh, Bosnia. So uh, he was in uh, areas where there was a lot of pressure. And, and But we're all able to react uh, here as a team uh, to pressure and just move forward. We don't put our tail between our legs when things don't happen. We just say, okay, as my brother alluded to, what are the options? We also have a windmill uh, in Rishabaktu, uh, and we're excited about uh, the other plans for uh, additional windmill parks. We're looking at, uh, you know, that small windmill that we have 
generates three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars a year uh, for us net net of debt amortization. So you know uh, that's not a bad investment. Uh, so you know we we have an opportunity here to uh, really uh, become, uh, I guess, a player uh, and in partnership in the region. You know we've discussed things with the community college, for example, uh, you know, as it relates to what are the skill sets required as we're looking at renewables, we're looking at hydrogen, we're looking at nuclear, preparing for that down the road. We met with, with a, a Japanese entity some time ago, and that was one of the questions they asked. You know, they were interested. We can't talk too much about it because we signed a, uh, an NDA about it. But, you know, they're interested in saying, well, you know, what sort of training is available? How many people can we count on having? So they're, you know, they're really interested in making sure that the, the structures are in place, the logistics that are in place to move forward on some of these projects. So we're, uh, you know, trying to be a little proactive and trying to put that structures, those structures in place so that they can get really serious. Yeah. And you know, Don, it's the reality, right? You have to spend money to make money. I mean, that's the reality. And, and so we've taken the loans out. So Again, you know, we go back to a lot of our forecasting was based on the tax agreement. With that gone now, you know, all our negotiations, our planning had happened before the tax agreement had been axed. <clears throat> so it's put us in a different role where we've had to sort of double down and actually, you know, ensure that we're, we're operating at a, at, a, at a good pace and ensuring that we're, we're going to be paying off these loans in a, in, a, in a meaningful time. But again, you know, partnership, I, I consider the province of New Brunswick a partner. But if they're not at the table negotiating, <clears throat> there's three forms I always say of, of, of moving forward. And this is the military perspective. I, I apologize, but I say negotiation, litigation, and war. <laughs> so, you know, there's three solutions. So let's, you know, I always prefer negotiation myself. But looking at negotiation, I mean, you know, uh, you know again, uh, there's a range of negotiation. You know, you got one party on one extreme, another party on the other extreme. So the idea is to move. In, in a balanced way to some sort of, uh, you know, discussion, some sort of conclusion. But, you know, when you start off by saying it's my way or the highway, which is the approach that the premier takes, and premier's a great guy. I mean, I think he believes that, you know, uh, we got to move forward in a constructive way for the province, etc. Well, you have your ideas. That's great, premier. But open your mind and say, look, let's move forward in a way where we can sit down at the table and discuss things, not sitting with a, with a preamble saying, well, you know, this is my way or the highway, and we're not going to be discussing this. We're not going to be discussing that. Well, there's no no solution to that. So that, those are the frustrating things that we see as we move forward. And, you know, look, at 74, the creator's got the door open for me, and I'm saying, wait, i got too much to do. Premier, please start negotiating. So we, before, before the creator calls me, I want to be able to say, look, we've accomplished something here. <laughs> I, I just want to switch the conversation to uh, the fishery for a second. Obviously, uh, commercial fishery is a big deal in this region. Uh, in recent years, First Nations across the region have been expanding in this, year, in this area. Can you tell, tell our listeners about uh, what you're doing at Papineau in terms of the fishing sector? Yeah, that, that's, that's great. Yeah, sure, Don, no problem. You know, I think we, our approach is obviously we're not on the water. We're about an hour away from our fishing grounds. Um, I've, I, we, don't, we don't do a, a food and ceremonial fisheries here. And one of the reasons we don't do that is we have five commercial lobster licenses and we have a snow crab license. Um, our fishermen, what we've done is these licenses come to the van. We give them out to members in our community who want, want to fish. They give us $1,000 back for our powwow. They also employ one person from the community on their vessel. And then they also provide lobsters to the community during Mother's Day, Father's Day, and Aboriginal Day. So there's a return coming back for those people. Not everybody's a fisherman, you know, and, and one of the things I've, I've always said is we'll, you know, that's why that own source revenue is so important. It gives us the ability to buy more commercial licenses as we move forward. I want to stay in the commercial sector because our fishermen do so well, and I don't want to be playing with the other livelihood of other fishermen. That's Pabano's approach. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people go on the right space fisheries, you know, it's our right we can fish. There's a lot of danger in that because it's it's a resource that we have to manage. And if we don't have a management plan in place and everybody just goes and does it, that resource can deplete pretty fast. It would be like saying, you know, if we let everybody go in the woods and start cutting, you know, it's my right, I can go cut wood. Well, that's great, but we could have no <laughs> we could have no woods pretty fast. 
So we've got to have these management plans in place before we start looking at that kind of stuff, I think. And, 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 and I don't, you know, the definitions of a moderate livelihood, you know, one of the things I have a hard time putting my head around <coughs> is what is a moderate livelihood? It's, there's, there's no definition yet. So it's very difficult. So, so we sort of shy away from that. I don't. We respect the other communities. I respect the other communities exactly who do it, who are closer to the water. But I think a management plan is very important because at some point, that resource is going to get hit. And it's important that you have a plan in place. So, so for us, our commercial fisheries bring money into the community. Our snow crab does. Uh, it enables us to employ people in the area and the region. Uh, we have a small license, not a lot. But, you know, it provides employment. Our people, uh, we have a captain who goes out on the boat. He's employed and his crew. So on our boat. On our, it's our vessel, actually. Uh, so we have a vessel, a snow crab vessel out of shipping it. Uh, our lobster fishermen fish here down shore out of uh, Stonehaven and Miller Brook. So we have the five licenses that are located there. We're looking at buying another license. So, you know, we're trying to bring people in who want to fish, but we want to do it in a manageable a manageable manner and ensure the resource is there for our next seven generations. I mean, that's the first thing. That's the, I would say that's the ill new way. We look after our next seven generations, and, and that's what we've got to do. So the fisheries is, you know, there's other people who, if you look at what uh, Terrence Paul has done with Clearwater, that's a, that's a great coup for him. You know, that's awesome. And, and that brings the First Nation and that community and the other communities that are involved in that agreement economic growth because that's what they're, you know, they're right next to the water. When you're a little bit further away from the water, uh, you know, we're looking at, I, I, I sort of always say you diversify your portfolio. You know, you want to be in different areas because you don't want to be relying on fisheries, on natural energy, on economic, you know, gas. Or marijuana. Or marijuana. <laughs> you know, you want to you want to be diversified. And I, I think that's important, you know, so that you're in different areas. So that if one, one sector takes a hit, you're not going under. So I think that's what we've been doing here. But fisheries has been lucrative for us. And uh, it provides employment. And I love seeing our captains, uh, you know, they, they invest their money back into their homes. I mean, some of the beautiful, some of the most beautiful homes on our community are owned by our fishermen. Yeah. So I mean, that's great. You know, I love seeing that. I think that's that shows you know initiative. It's not an easy job. Anybody who's fished knows, uh, you know, early days. I mean, they say, well, it's only for two months, but let me tell you, when you're up at four o'clock every day and only going to bed at six o'clock at night, it's a long day. Yeah, and we went, you know, and, and and it's interesting when we talk about marijuana, for example. We don't support marijuana in the uh, outlets in the community. Uh, uh, unlike some other communities, we see we we think that our future generation should be thinking about what's the future. You know, clean energy, uh, some of these technology stuff, and and work towards developing that, and not the short term. You know, revenue that's going to be generated by you know marijuana outlets. So we wanted to ask you a little bit more about the clean energy opportunity in northeastern New Brunswick. We know you're you've mentioned it already, and you're a key partner there. But I've got a few questions for you. The first one is. Um, just maybe elaborating a bit on the Pebano First Nations involvement. So we know that uh, Denny Caron and his team over at the, um, we've interviewed him at the Port of Beldoon, and there's a lot of very interesting projects that they're looking at. Can you tell us about your involvement just in general with, with, uh, with the port and what they're doing over there? Well, we started off, for example, with uh, ARC uh, in SMNRs. Uh, Norm Sawyer, who was heading up uh, ARC at that time, was talking about uh, the potential for a 10% export market. That caught my eye, and so in my ear, I should say. And so we signed an agreement with them because the, the point there was maybe they could ship them up to Baldoon because the you know the conversion of the power plant there and having SMNRs at Baldoon was a reality. But not only that, what about assembling them and shipping abroad? So we signed an agreement with ARC on that. We signed an agreement with a German company, AVO Win. Over to you, bro. Yeah, you know, even to go a little bit back further, there was a protocol agreement signed with the um, eight Mi'kmaq bands and the Port of Baldoon in regards to working together collaboratively on development. Now, when you look at the Port of Baldoon, it's located in basically two communities' traditional First Nation territory. That would be Pabano and Eel River Bar. So we've been working collaboratively, obviously, with Eel River Bar as well and bringing them forward, and working with all these projects that James had mentioned, ARC, Moltex, um, they recently signed a, a, an agreement with North Shore Mi'kmaq Tribal Council, and all of the First Nations in regards to um, the technology side. So we have an investment now in the First Nations, I believe two million in ARC and one million in Moltex. So these, that's towards the technology side. Now, you know, 
when you look at these other companies that are coming in, we, we always start, I always say you start with basically an MOU, which is a memorandum of understanding of working together collaboratively as we move forward. So with that, we've signed with Interjex, we've signed with ABO Wind, we've signed with, um, uh, we have another, uh, the conversion of the coal plant at Beldoon. There's a company looking at using biomass, uh, pellet form from Alberta. Uh, we're working with them as well. Uh, you know, so, so it's getting getting in there, and, and as you can be aware, there's a lot of proponents that have ideas, but it's weeding through those ideas and taking the ones that are doable and, and, and possible and moving those forward. And it's I, a collaborative effort with Denis. You know, I mean, we we bring projects in. Uh, he he brings projects in. We work collaboratively in discussing, you know, where where we stand on this. So it really is a partnership where we, you know, collaboratively try and build the clean energy hub. Yeah, and then we have the decommissioning that's happening with Glencore, the, the old uh, smelter facility up there. We see that as eventually as that land gets cleaned up, it'll come back to First Nations. So the port's seen that as well. So we're looking at working with the port, NB Power, and with Glencore. And we're developing between the port, Eel River Bar, and Pabano, we're developing a land corporation that will actually manage the lands at the port. So we bring in the right proponents, making sure that it fits within the green energy site, you know, sector and, and developing that as it grows, because there's great potential at the Port of Baldoon. It's huge. Um, you know, we always say, you know, 2,755 sailing nautical miles over to Europe. Uh, we know that there's a need for energy in Europe. So how do we develop this? You know, and, and, uh, and there's different talks out there. I know the premier... You know, God bless him. He's still stuck on fracking and, and moving forward on fracking. But there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with fracking that that, that still have to be addressed, obviously. And and you know, when you're looking at developing that technology, is is has there been changes where you know you're not inserting those chemicals into the ground and they're not coming out? Thereby, you know, there's no long term studies saying you know is your water water tables are they contaminated or so these are the concerns. So you've got to try to make sure, as my brother said, the four pillars. You know, environmental is a key af aspect. So we want to make sure it fits. And the Green Energy Hub, I mean, it speaks for itself. Green Energy Hub, I mean, you know, it's it's an area to get into. I, I know small modular nuclear reactors is a very touchy field for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, it's not a carbon emitter. And, you know, that that's the key is we have to lower our carbon emissions worldwide. And, uh, you know, if we don't, you know, we won't even be having this talk about a world anymore. I mean, that's what where we're headed. So we've got to take we've got to take action, and I believe proponents are ready to move forward, and we're excited. Uh, hydrogen is the key, and I think you know with, with these new companies we're, we're working with, ABO Wind out of Germany, Next Era out of the United States. I mean, they're ready to go, and uh, you know we're on the cusp in New Brunswick, and I always say New Brunswick can be at the front of the bus for one for once instead of the back of the bus with all this green energy development. You know, it's so exciting because if we're at the front of the bus, we're leading it. And I've even had a chance to talk, you know, on the Atlantic uh, economic uh, side of it. Why are we not pushing the Atlantic green hub? You know, New Brunswick got a green hub. Nova Scotia got a green hub. Newfoundland got a green Let's all work together. And we could be the powerhouse. In the, you know, instead of the have-nots, we we'll were the haves. And I think there's an opportunity there. Maybe if I could be a bit myopic. <laughs> you, you know, you look at the Port of Baldoon. I mean, I look at the other project. I've been in Nova Scotia. I've been in Newfoundland where they're, where they're looking at setting up uh, those particular projects. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the, 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 the ground ready to go like the Port of Baldoon has. And this is the thing that we've got to, you know, as, as my brother talks about the, you know, the, the need in Europe. Yeah, they have the appetite. We have the menu. Let's work on that menu. And yeah, let's maybe work on it from a united way. But, you know, that's a, that's the problem. Each province has their own objectives. And to get them. You know, like Atlantic Canada doesn't have the population that Montreal and Toronto have. You know, so where's the power structure? You, you, let's try and unite and become more powerful and moving forward. But, you know, it's a challenge for sure. But I think I'm excited. We're moving forward and, and I see, you know, things happening. Uh, sometimes things happen but with a lot of push that's, uh, and a lot of pull sometimes. And I think, uh, you know, energy is a need that's going to happen. And uh, I'm not sure that, you know, uh, you know, the cutoff of carbon, I, I somehow, uh, you know, be a little political to some extent at the federal. And I, I agree with Daniel Smith in terms of the time, time frame. Uh, you know, you need a base level of power uh, and, you know, cutting 
fossil fuels out right away is not going to happen overnight, I don't mm. think. And so, and you're seeing that with EV problems, you know, in Europe, for example, right now. And so, right. I think, you know, there's no question that's where we got to go. We're concerned, you know, certainly as stewards for Mother Earth, that we want to make sure that that's a, a reality, uh, that the environment, and we're seeing it. I mean, the birds are talking to us now, the animals, the trees, the rivers, the stream, Mother Nature with hurricanes and storms, etc. We got to start listening to that. And so I agree. Uh, and, uh, maybe Trump doesn't agree with it, but the climate change is real. Yeah. Uh, we want. I wanted to ask you just to get maybe a little more specific for you around where you see the economic opportunities are. We talked with John Davis at the Halibut First Nation in uh, in Newfoundland, and they are looking at a variety of economic opportunities, including including owning pieces of the business. And you talked earlier about Arc and uh, and Moltex, but also owning supply chain businesses that actually serve the green energy or the clean energy sector. And then possibly, in some cases, just royalty streams. So have you given any thought to, I know you have these MOUs and so on, but where do you see the specific economic opportunities for Pabano? Are you looking at some of these uh, inv equity investments, things like that? Oh, Dave, you hit it right on the button. You hit them all. <laughs> really, I mean, that's, you know, there's all different different models out there to utilize. And, and you know, I recently was in Halifax with NRCAN, and we're looking at a First Nation in First Nation Equity Investment Loan Program. So what that would allow, it allowed First Nations to tap in and actually get loans at a lower interest rate and payback for these projects. So if you have, as an example, a hydrogen project that's moving forward and you want to get equity in the game, you can go and get borrow from this company. If you have an offtake agreement, that's like a PPA, a purchase power agreement for, you know, that it's like a blank check, basically. So you can actually go and use use that to borrow from this fund that would enable you to get equity in these projects. And, and, we've, uh, and we've also got certification on our financial management board, uh, First Nations Financial Management Board, First Nations Financial Management uh, uh, so organization where you can also loan money, get money, get loans, and, and in the infrastructure bank as well. So we've been positioning ourselves really cheap, you know, in, in a lot of fronts. There. Yeah, and, and it's all about, you know, getting that equity. I think equity is the key, but you can't be, you know, there's opportunity for everybody. That's what I say, you know, and that's why even partnering with some of those industries on the supply chain aspect is what we're looking at, saying, okay, we know that SMNR technology is coming. What is going to be needed that we can actually partner with somebody, whether it be, Sunny Corner out of Miramichi, or whether it be PCL out of uh, out of Ontario, are they willing to, to to come back? They're already in that field as well. You know, competition is good. You know, competition is great for the consumer at the end of the day because it lowers prices. So I think that's what we're looking at is is how can we actually partner along those lines and get some some equity and skin in the game so that eventually we're not. You know, I I use this terminology wards of the state. I don't want to be relying on government all the time for funding. I would like to be my own entity and be able to develop our businesses and say, you know what? We'll build our own houses. We'll build our own roads. We'll do our own stuff. And, and I think that's where we're trying to head. Bro, you surprised me. You gave me an economics 101 there. You know, competition <laughs> is good for the consumer. <laughs> well, we appreciate that, Chief Terry. That's good uh, Good economics 101. Just one more question on the on the on the clean energy hub, um, and I think you mentioned it earlier already. Uh, but we have a long history in New Brunswick with nuclear energy, a fifty year history. But it's mostly around La Pro and in southern New Brunswick. There's very strong public support. If you look at the polling, the rest of the province doesn't have much history with nuclear energy, including the north. And I also think, just in general, uh, there's some skepticism around large industrial activity in the Northeast because of maybe some of the, you know, the the, the residual impacts of of uh, of Glencore and, and and so on. So I guess the question for you is, um, if SMR development is advanced in the Northeast, Arc, Moltex, or, or others, where do you stand as a First Nation? First question. And then secondly, what are your thoughts on making sure we can get public support? Because we know in the current day, if you don't have public support for these projects, they're not going to go ahead. It's just there's no government that's going to ram stuff through anymore. It just doesn't happen. And that's a good thing. But how do we get public support? So I guess the first question is, where do you stand on, on, on uh, SMR nuclear development? And what are your thoughts on how we get public support in the Northeast? 
Well, it's no secret. I mean, I, I support SMNR development, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, you know, we need a baseline source of energy. And what do you do when the wind don't blow, the sun don't shine, and the water don't flow? You're, you're, you know, you're not, you're, you're, your renewables don't work. Uh, even when you have too much wind, windmills won't generate energy. So we need a baseline. Nuclear is part of our, our makeup here. We're looking at smaller modular, smaller reactors, 100 megawatts in size. You know, it's going to reduce. I look at these as being, you know, we're not New Brunswick and basically New Brunswick and Ontario are the only two provinces that basically have nuclear within our energy grid now. We now have Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Everybody's looking at it because they see the opportunity. If you take a 100 megawatt small modular nuclear reactor, you put it up in northern Ontario, or sorry, northern Saskatchewan, you can power all those small communities that are now presently burning diesel. How much carbon is being released there? You know, obviously the, 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 there's a need for so, you know, that social licensing that you talked about, which is true. But I'm a firm believer it's letting people know. Give me your solution. If you don't have a solution, then this is, a, this is the most viable solution. It's already there. It's doable. We're doing it already in the province. So we've we've have we have much like you guys, uh, David and Don. We we have a show that we do called Maui Omi Gathering Place, and we spread the you know we bring people in. We, we our last proponents were from Arc and um, ABO Wind, and it's about getting that information out there so that you're dispelling all those fears. You know, people see nuclear. What's the first thing they say? Oh, nuclear bomb. You know, that's what. Oh, nuclear. Oh my God, we're going to have a nuclear radiation. Radiation. Oh my God, we're going to have you know, but. The, the reality is we probably have some of the safe, we have the safest technology. When you look at anything that's happened in the world, you know, it's because of a natural disaster. If you look at the tsunami in, uh, in Japan, in uh, Japan, or of uh, when you look at Chernobyl, it was the, it was the technology and it was uh, basically, you know, old rotten technology. So there's not really, you know, the can do is, 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 is safe. And as we develop this, what I'm excited about when you look at ARC and Moltex is one offsets the other. ARC is developing the, you know, the small modular nuclear reactor, but Moltex's technology is recycling that spent fuel rod. You know, because when you look at it, the nuclear waste basically just nuclear 101. You know, the rod, 80% of your nuclear rod is utilized. 20% isn't. That's why it's so radioactive. What Moltex's technology is to reutilize that 20%. Now, it goes from 1,000 years of storage to 100 years of storage. It's a lot better. So, I mean, there's that technology. And where are we going to be? We may be in a technology that's even as we develop, it's going to even be better and better. So I think we have to solve this and we need a baseline source. And I see SMNR. So I support it. I'm a very vocal person about it. I, I have no problem. I've, I've heard uh, Chief uh, uh, Chief uh, Akau from uh, the Pesquati down in St. John is very much against it. I've, I've sat down with him and we've had, you know, one, and, and listen, at the end of the day, we agree to disagree. But, you know, obviously, we need a solution, and I believe that's the solution. Just to peel the onion a little bit more, Dave uh, and Don, I mean, if some, uh, we agree. You know, uh, I think nuclear is the way to go. But if somebody were to ask us, would you store nuclear and nuclear waste in your property or in your territory, the answer would be no. So there's, there's something that has to be addressed. The other thing that has to be addressed is the, the big unknown costs associated with nuclear. You're looking at over a, 100% in terms of the original costs associated with developing SMNRs to the end product based on the American uh, example. Uh, and that cost has to be transferred on to NB Power, who now has to transfer that cost on to uh, Joe Citizen. Uh, and so does the federal government then uh, step in and say, okay, yeah, we want to go carbon free, net zero. So we're going to subsidize that in part. So that's a that's an issue that has to be addressed. Not only with that, with some of the other projects like you know, uh, as uh, renewables, etc. Hydrogen, the cost of producing that is is high, and if you're using that on the energy grid, that has to be transferred over to the consumer. And so uh, you know. Uh, you you know what this issue is with the utility boards and what NV Power is going through now, not only with their debt, but uh, you know trying to get an increase in uh, in uh, uh, annual uh, rates. So you know it's it's a challenge. Uh, so you know it's there's a lot of unknowns there, but I think you know the the, the journey's moving forward. Um, there's the journey hasn't ended yet, uh, and hopefully the government will step in, ease the concerns of people of what's it going to cost me in terms of rates. 
That's one thing that has to be addressed. The other thing that has to be addressed, what are we going to do with the waste uh, in, in terms of nuclear waste? And, and, you know, if I can just add on to that, one thing I don't agree with is I think, you know, if we do get that technology and it, it's exported, well, there's going to be revenue streams flowing back to Envy Power that could subsidize what? the power at home. You, you and I don't agree on the patients. Come on. <laughs> so there is opportunity there, I think. You know, and, and I, you know, I just, I, I see it as the solution and it's something that we're already doing in the province. We're, uh, we're rapidly running out of time, but uh, I, I wondered if you have you know, mentioned 21 MOUs uh, that you have in place. Uh, if you had to rank the top three opportunities for your community, what would they be from an economic development point of view? Well, I think uh, you know, certainly the clean energy hub. Yeah. Uh, the renewables, I, I talked about you know, the revenue generated from one windmill alone. We're looking at you know up to four, uh, thirty plus caribou two uh, is is in the wings. We're also looking at uh, you know the other things associated with the the expression of interest from NB Power again windmills associated with that. So you're looking at the revenue stream from that tremendous tremendous. Uh, I think that uh, you know the other areas that Vanier Boulevard obviously our development on Vanier is going to create revenue for the, for the First Nations and then you know we we have small businesses too that that, that are doing. Quite well, I and mean, we have a, we have a trucking company that's doing really well. Uh, so, so we've been operating that uh, at uh, pretty lean, but we're doing pretty good on it. And uh, so, th these are the things I think. If I had to say, you know, the top three, it's 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 definitely for sure the green energy hub being one, yeah. and then Vanny number two, and then yeah. the small businesses that we operate always bring in these these other little MOUs that we signed on are are with companies that we don't have the capacity, whether it be you know, in, in providing safety equipment. Well, we'll go out, we'll do the work, and then we'll get a percentage back on, on, on revenue sales. So so this is how we create those 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 revenue streams coming back to the First Nation. And, and any First Nation community out there can do that. Yeah, like through our through our company, Mi'kmaq Logistics Limited Partnership, for example, we've had contracts dealing with housing in uh, CFP Gagetown. Uh, you know, so the contractor does that. We do a lot of upfront work. It's almost, you know, sometimes I feel like that Saudi Arabian citizen sitting there and say, the government's saying to them, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody wants to come in, they got to pay you at least uh, a half a million dollars, and you just sit there and do nothing, and uh, they use, you now have a license to operate. Uh, well, we, we do it a little bit differently. We work on, you know, capacity transfer. For example, when we have a contract, uh, like in Gagetown, for example, the contractor then who works with us, you know, exchanges views with respect to developing our capacity on project management, uh, looks at providing employment for our people. Uh, so there's a transfer there in addition to the commission that we get for providing the contract. So, uh, you know, federal procurement strategy, federal government, you're looking at 5% of all the federal government contracts going to First Nation companies. So this is where we set up this Mi'kmaq logistic company. Uh, Palmerlo, for example, is doing a big contract now in Moncton and in uh, BEI, same thing. They're looking at 20% trying to go to Aboriginal firms. So, uh, you know, again, it goes back to the point that I think companies get it with respect to reconciliation, get it with respect to a whole whack of stuff that's associated, sorry for the word whack, my Queen's uh, NBA <laughs> thing, guys, the guys will be mad at me now for not using the proper terminology. But at any rate, you know, <laughs> a, a, a host of, uh, uh, you know, benefits associated with that. So I think, you know, we're moving in a direction where I see the future as being very bright, Don, going back to your question, uh, those three areas that uh, the chief uh, mentioned uh, clearly. And then, you know, we keep moving forward. Uh, I think the big challenge is creating a workforce, uh, the training, et cetera. We've got to work on that. We have to have the structures in place to bring forward, you know, the new technology. So it's much better to be a leader than a follower in some of these things, you know, as you move forward on whatever initiative you're involved in. Um, I wanted to switch topics just for a second. Housing is a growing challenge across uh, New Brunswick. It's uh, an issue everywhere. Uh, it's been an issue for many First Nations for a longer period of time, obviously. Uh, you have a home building initiative. Can you give us a quick overview of what that, what, what that's all about. Well, what, what we've done is we've been able to, through the own source revenue we were getting with our tax agreement, <laughs> we were able to build homes. Uh, we were building three homes a year. Uh, we were able to tap into the rapid housing initiative that the federal government uh, put forward. 
So in the last four years, we've been we've been able to in our community build twenty houses and twenty houses and four fourplexes, which uh, are four per house. So sixteen, 20, so thirty six families have been able to get homes in our community. It's a lot of work. I mean, um, you know, when you when you go into these rapid housing initiatives, it's important that you're doing it on time, on budget. It's important that you're meeting the timelines, the reporting procedures in place. But if you, you're able to do all that, you can tap into these programs. So obviously our tax agreement would have been nice to have because we could continue to grow at a faster rate because we still have a significant waiting list for homes like every other First Nation community, like everybody across Canada, basically. Um, you know, my perception of this is that we, we, we addressed it too late. We should have been addressing this as we were growing. So I blame a lot of it on, on our, our federal and provincial governments for not having the foresight to say, okay, we're growing. We let's, let's put some money aside. Let's grow housing. And they never did that. Now we're in a situation where we're in a, we're in a jam and that's right across Canada, I think. So, so we've been fortunate that we've been able to, you know, house some of our members and uh, bring people back, which is what they want to do. Come back to community, create more capacity in the community, bring people back who, who are going to be volunteers within the community, doing work in the community and who are back in where they want to be within their culture, you know, and that's a big part of it. And, uh, I always say, you know, when you lose your language and your culture, you lose your identity as a person. And uh, so for us, that's important, the culture and the language. We've lost our language, but we've got our culture back. We're trying to work on the language perspective now. Um, I feel for the Acadians in New, in, in, in New Brunswick, I believe we pride ourselves on being a bilingual province. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to see what happened to them happen. You know, what happened to us happened to the Acadians either. So I think it's important that we, we keep that. That, that identity that we have in New Brunswick as a bilingual province. I, I'm proud of that, and uh, I, I, I support uh, a lot of Francophone uh, communities, and, I, and I, I believe in the language as well. And Don and Dave, I think one of the key success factors in moving forward and, and to uh, where we are now is solid governance. I mean, we focused on that. Through solid governance, we got on the radar screen. You mentioned Terry Paul. Years ago, I pushed with Terry uh, ISO certification. Now that got him on the got him on the radar screen. I mean, he had solid governance, etc., and solid leadership. But you know, just getting that one important ingredient moving forward, I think, is important. So, solid governance is what we focused on. You know, accountability, transparency, uh, all of this stuff that's very important. Companies see that. You know, from my ban fast banking experience, you know, you look at when you do due diligence, you assess risk, and if somebody's got good governance, uh, you know especially at the community level, it's very important. Uh, just a couple more questions here. Um, the first one is you've both have talked about the importance of reconciliation. I just wanted to get your thoughts on where we are today. Are we, are we making progress generally in this area of reconciliation? Because we, we want to, I assume we want to get to a point where, where there is, you know, a, a broad sense of reconciliation um, across uh, our province, across the country. So where, where where do you think we are today on the issue of reconciliation between First Nations and non-First Nations? I, I think on on municipal levels, we're far ahead. Day-to-day uh, -day operations with proponents, we're far ahead. Um, from the government perspective, we're lagging. Um, you know, it, it's it's my brother's, you know, Jamie stated that range of negotiation, we got to get on it. And uh, if you're not on it, then you're not moving. And, um, you know, I, I listen, I, I believe the premier wants, like everybody else, wants what's best for the province. We want what's best for the province. But we also want to be part of the part of that solution. And the reconciliation on the on the government side, I think, in the province is is lacking right now, unfortunately. And, and uh, you know, I think there's a way. You know, again, we're optimists. I believe let's get to the table and let's let's start it. You know, OK, this is it took three years to get to the table. Let's go to the table and let's see what we can talk about. You know, and, and let's get it moving. But if the premier isn't willing to do that, you know, then I, I see and, 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 and I, you know, again, this is my perception. And, and in my talks with various ministers off the record, of course, um, I believe a lot of them would like to see that, too. But, you know, the captain's at the helm and uh, you follow your captain and, uh, you know, either you go down with the ship or you abandon ship. And, uh, you know, I think some people are taking the abandoned ship approach myself and realizing that uh, there's got to be a change. 
But I'm uh, I'm optimistic, and like I said, I, I look forward. We we've actually been able to set up a meeting with the premier, have the talk, see what's going to happen. I mean, we were open to it. I, I we've always been open to it. You just would never get it. The you know we'd set up an agenda, change the agenda. You no, know, this you know I'm going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about anything else. It's it's very difficult. And um, I think with with Minister Holland, I, I really you know personally I like like Minister Holland. I like Mike. He's a uh, I believe his heart's in the right place. He's from, uh, you know, he's a, he's a great New Brunswicker, avid outdoorsman. Um, you know, I think he's willing to try and, and, and do something in this next eight months as, you know, it's not much time. But let's see if we can get something moving. I mean, I look at, you know, whether it be hydrogen, whether it be, let's get something down the road. You know, let's get something so that we got a, 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 at least a starting point. Because right now we don't have one. And, and litigation, you know, unfortunately, Dave, Don, you know, litigate. You know, I talked about negotiation. It's not working. Where do you go? Your next step is litigation, and uh, you know I, that's not good for anybody. It creates risk. Yeah, yeah, and it's not good for the province of New Brunswick. It's not good for the people of New Brunswick. It's not good for the relationships. I mean, and this government's forced that, which is unfortunate because I, it really makes me sad. Um, you know, I know the Willistique have have taken a very hard stance. They're 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 frustrated. Um, but, you know, we're open. I think on the Mi'kmaq side, we're saying, okay, you know, you're forcing us down that road, but let's let's negotiate because I think we, we, we're being a little bit more saying, let's let's get to the table. And so when I talk about reconciliation, I think the average person gets it, business gets it, municipalities get it, but the province, the province side. And it's not genuine, you know, for the province and particularly the premier and the justice minister to say, well, with the whole claims thing, they're going to take your houses, they're going to take your land. Uh, I mean, you know, that's creating, you know, fear that's not there. That doesn't happen. So why are you saying it? It's certainly not helping the relationship because we know it's not real. The lawyers on our side know it's not real. But to say that, you know, it's just posturing politically and it's not it's not a good way of, you know, moving down that reconciliation path. You know, and Dave, you know, reconciliation from the government's perspective, sometimes my personal opinion is, well, we'll name this building after, we'll name this uh, road after. Well, that's not just reconciliation. Reconciliation is let's do something on a policy related stuff that's really real. Allow First Nations to develop an economy. Let them move forward uh, because they're not going to go away. The population growth is greater, greater than any other segment of the population. Uh, so they're growing. The education level is getting greater too. We got more people in school. But yet, how many First Nations are sit on boards, etc.? The capacity is there, but there's really, uh, you know, I think. Uh, Frustration on the part of many First Nations uh, people, and uh, we're seeing a younger generation that's more educated, and so the the movement towards litigation is very real, uh, and so we've got to come up with a solution and move forward collectively. This is a great country. We're open. This is a great province. We have such tremendous potential. We can only do that in a united way. Let's move forward in a united way. Francophones, Anglophones, new immigrants. Aboriginal First Nations, let's move together collectively. We all want the same thing, you know. We look at, you know, I, I mentioned two key areas of, areas of responsibility we have as Indigenous people, and everybody else has the same. Number one, stewards for Mother Earth. Number two, to, to nurture and protect future generations. We all have the same. Your, your, your kids, your grandkids, you all want, we all want the same thing. We want them to enjoy what we enjoy. So I think uh, collectively we all have a common interest. Let's move forward in that way. Yeah, and unif unifying this province is so important. I think that's what we've got to do. We're not dividing people, you know, whether it be on some of these issues, 713, dividing people. I mean, these are issues that you, you, you take and you, you use them for a political gain. Take your stance, make your stance known, and that's it. You know, you don't have to then all of a sudden play on it and try to make it something bigger than what it is. And I, and I think that's the problem we have is, is that there's that division aspect, and it's all for political gain. And that's not going to, you know, we've got to unite and that's what is so frustrating when I sit with government on the provincial side and say, let's unite. You know, we could be a force here. I, I hate hearing New Brunswick as a have-not province. I hate that terminology. We have the potential to be a leader. Let's be a leader. Our biggest export was people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at some of the people that I've had friends with, for example, Charles Coffey. Uh, from Woodstock area, Charles used uh, uh, an executive VP of Royal Bank, you know, uh, and some of these other people that I've run across across the, the country that uh, are former New Brunswickers, uh, Cedric Ritchie, I said, um, he, he was on a board that I, that I with the bank. Uh, again, all these great people, they're all exported. We have, we have so many great people, you know, that, that uh, 
they're great exports. So uh, yeah, we're not a have-not province. I mean, come on, we 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 have such tremendous potential now. But you hear that, right? Yeah, we absolutely, absolutely, you hear that. So uh, just looking ahead, and, and maybe you can give us a really quick answer on this. What what are the biggest challenges and opportunities for the Papineau First Nation over the next few years? I think uh, for, for us, definitely uh, getting a workforce, that's going to be challenging as all these opportunities arise on the economic side for us. We'll be hiring a lot of people who aren't First Nation. That's just going to be the reality of it. We, we, we have no choice. We've ran out, ran, basically run out of people in our community. So uh, bringing back other people into our community that have uh, capacity to fill some of those positions we're looking at. Succession planning. Uh, succession planning is huge for us. Uh, you know, we're not getting any younger. And uh, we, we, we both want to eventually retire out of the positions we're in. So uh, we see, you know, succession planning being something that is going to be a challenge. Preparing uh, the community so that we have people with capacity to come in and, and, and keep the community growing and moving forward. Yeah, you know. The, the, just to Dave and Don to talk about this have-not thing. I remember years ago in Toronto, I was uh, at, a, at a place and there was an article talking about, you know, transfer payments and saying, you know, uh, why should we transfer money to, to New Brunswick uh, or Nova Scotia, etc. Uh, and they, they would profess, you know, take a tug, tugboat, sail it down to St. Lawrence, strap a chain around Atlantic Canada and pull it up. And now we've solved the problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, it's, a pro, it, it's, a, it's a cost of maintaining the geography of this country. But we're, we're actually moving away from that. And I, I think uh, let's move forward in a way where we can become, you know, a great economy here in New Brunswick. We were at one time, you know, I mean, one of the, you know, doors uh, of wood, doors of water. I mean, you know. Uh, I, I think we're, we're, we're on the cusp again with the Green Energy Hub. I believe that's going to be the challenge is, is getting these projects to fruition. There's going to be a cost associated. That's another challenge. Obviously, there's got to be an appetite. Private investment, you know, is going to take a big, big role. When you talk about a $4 billion project yeah. and a proponent coming in, you're going to have to have the right proponents involved in projects that can actually make these coming forward so that the federal and provincial government aren't subsidizing all the time. So I think that's that's the challenges we're going to have as we move forward. Really. And changing, changing the relationship with First Nation. Yeah. I see that as a risk factor. You know, for investors. Exactly. But I mean, you know, with an election coming up in October at the latest, maybe earlier, uh, you know, there's 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 an urgency from this government, I believe, to start getting this relationship right. Because, you know, even in the state of the province address, the premier made the statement that nothing, you know, nothing's gonna happen without First Nation involvement, which is true. And he's got to solve that. And I was a little disappointed in the way he it was almost like he had speaking notes and nothing's going to happen with other, you know, instead of being more enthusiastic and saying, I'm going to work on that. This is something we have to do. And I, I, I was a little disappointed in that. Um, but, you know, again, as an optimist, I always believe let's get her done. Let's, let's get, let's get moving and let's, let's make New Brunswick great. Well, that's uh, uh, parroting Trump. That's a good way to end our conversation today. Chief Terry and Jim, thank you so much for joining us on the Insights Podcast. We appreciate your leadership and we will continue to follow your progress with interest. And we wish you and your community all the best as you move ahead with these exciting economic opportunities. Dave and Don, I really appreciate the work you do for New Brunswick, indeed for Atlantic Canada. I think that's important. The role that you play there, uh, I think is very important in forming, you know, uh, advocating to some extent. So uh, kudos to you folks. Yes, thank you this. so much, you guys. You, you guys really helped get the word out. And that's what we've got to do, right? We've got to get that word out there and not concentrate on this, you know, the negative stuff, but the positive stuff. And that's that's so important. I like your economic train of thought too, Dave, by the way. I, I follow you religiously. <laughs> well, we yeah. appreciate that so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Insights Podcast from the Acadia Broadcasting Corporation. Follow the show and listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast platform, like Apple or Spotify. If you've enjoyed the show, why not recommend it to a friend? Don and David will be back next week with another deep dive into some key issues in Atlantic Canada.